Welcome to a special edition of Breaking Badness. In this bonus episode, you'll hear from Kat Sweet, technical evangelist at Capsulate. Co-host Tarek Sala and myself sat down with Kat to discuss advice for blue teamers, creating a more accessible and inclusive industry, and key strategies for submitting CFPs. This bonus episode of Breaking Badness is next. Welcome to our special episode of Breaking Badness, recorded on March 18th, 2020. With us today, technical evangelist at Capsulate, Cat Sweet. Today, we're hoping to pick her brain on advice for blue teamers, creating a more accessible and inclusive industry, and key strategies for submitting CFPs. We are also joined by Domain Tools Senior Security Engineer and Malware Researcher, Tarek, make a mountain out of a malware, Sala. Well done, Tarek. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> and um, I also want to introduce Cat. What the world needs now is puns, sweet puns. <laughs> no, not just for some, but for everyone. <laughs> yes, I love it. <laughs> and I'm your host, Kelsey. This is a pandemic, LaBelle. And I'm really excited oh my God. to have both of you here. <laughs> Thank you for sharing that sweetness with us, Kat. And that wasn't meant to play off your last name, but it sort of just did. <laughs> Okay, everyone does. Now I'm picturing a um, a mashup of the board games Punderdome and Pandemic. Uh, that oh. sounds frightening, but kind of awesome. Yes, I love it. I may or may not own that first game that you mentioned. <laughs> <laughs> it's bad. Yeah, it's bad when you go to your um, future in-laws and they've bought pun-themed card games for you to play. And they're like, we just thought you might enjoy this. And it's like, I feel maybe a little too seen here. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. I, my birthday was recently, and uh, my partner got me a card that has a block of cheese and a box grater on it that says, you are the greatest. <laughs> oh, my God. I love it. <laughs> well done. Excellent card giving. That's fantastic. They get me. <laughs> they get me. <laughs> All righty. Well, Tarek, I know you have some questions for Kat here, so I'll let you kick it off before we talk puns all day, which I know Kat and I would love to do. <laughs> <laughs> that is pretty entertaining. Well, cool. Yeah, let's jump kind of right into it. So, uh, Kat, I know you've been like incredibly involved in the security community, um, you know, having your hands in, you know, B-Sides Las Vegas' lockpicking village, um, uh, mentoring uh, on the B-Sides Proving Grounds um, and doing volunteering for the crypto party. But um, one of the things I love to ask people is like, what parts of security um, really excite you? Like what gives you the energy to be so like immersed into InfoSec? Oh my God, it's a lot of different things. And I think my love of security has evolved over time um, in the years that I've been in the community. And I think what I keep coming back to a lot is it's security at its core is a cultural issue uh, more so than just technology. And so I always am intrigued by the various social and cultural aspects of security. Like how do, how do you get buy-in from someone whose primary job isn't security? How do you abstract decisions away from them um, because they have other values than just how am I going to do this task securely? Um, 
how do you yeah all, all of these things like how do you solve these grand systemic problems and I think some of that plays off in my background uh, years ago, my bachelor's degree is in gender and women's studies. So nothing to do with the tech, but more a lot of analysis of power structures and societies and norms. Yes, I love that. And just to put another plug in, I brought this up quite a bit in the mini series around the human element. So there's a fantastic new series on ITSP called The Uncommon Journey. And it's mm -hmm. really fantastic. It's um, Alyssa Miller, Chloe Mistagi, Philip Wiley. And so they talk about exactly what you're mentioning. A lot of people say this, right? They bring this up when we're talking about InfoSec is I didn't come from X, Y, and Z background. Um, mm -hmm. And this is how my really interesting and transferable background plays into my role in security. So we're actually going to dig into that a little bit more later, but that's, that's really interesting. Yeah. I think everyone has, has something like that because security touches every aspect of a business and people's lives. Um, anything we do could potentially be relevant to something that you transfer over into, into security. Um, so I like that people are in the last few years, especially starting to find more of these um, connections and transferable skills in unexpected places Going back to the human, the human stuff a little bit, uh, what I also plug, um, Wendy Nather had a really good keynote at RSA recently about um, these sort of human problems of security and being able to uh, move toward this open culture and um, also, again, abstract some of the decisions away from people. <laughs> the phrase annual spoon awareness training came up and I just love that as an illustration <laughs> of like, a spoon is pretty straightforward to use. And we don't necessarily have to reinforce behaviors around proper spoon use. So getting to that point in, secu in security things where we don't, most of us don't have to know like deeply how a spoon is engineered or how we use it properly without hurting ourselves. <laughs> so if we get to that point in security, we're doing something right. I love it. Right. So this is like just an overall continuous goal. Totally. Mm -hmm. um, so kind of, you know, um, one thing that you kind of touched upon is like the social aspects of uh, security. And I totally agree with everything you're saying. And it kind of segues into a uh, question I have for you. So in like, in your experience, what are some of the traits of uh, successful uh, people in security? And like, what does that look like to you? Like, how do you define what successful people uh, on a uh, trait level or on a um, technique level, what does that look like to you in security? And of course, successful is actually sec-cessful. Um, that's uh. what that is. <laughs> <laughs> yep, you can't spell successful without sec. Um, so it's interesting. I think, I think we talk a lot about the individuals and not about their, their place in a wider ecosystem. A lot of times people are the product of the environment around them and the resources that are available to them at any given point in time. So um, I think given my same background and set of skills, I was in my last job where I learned a ton of information and feel like I leveled up my understanding of security, the way I relate to people, the way just all of these things. I think a lot of that was enabled by having a very I had a few different managers, all of whom were very supportive and very, very proactive about my professional growth and about team cohesion and about having good open communication and collaboration between the security team and other teams. 
I think that environment and those those privileges allowed me to thrive and build my own skills and knowledge a lot more than if I had taken the same background and gotten shoved into a dark windowless corner, isolated from the rest of the company uh, with maybe a manager who was just a blocker or was a micromanager or was distant. Um, so there's a lot of things that can play into somebody's success beyond what they themselves bring to the table. Yeah. So would you say that, uh, would you say luck has uh, something to do, uh, like a variable to do with success too? Oh, definitely. I mean, there's, you know, the whole phrase, you make your own luck. So I think it's, I think it's a huge combination of being in the right place at the right time, along with hard work and, when I was trying to get into security, I did a lot of trying to be engaged in the community, even though there wasn't really much of a local security community. So I tried to be involved in conference or like volunteering and organizing, um, tried to meet people in the field, all of that. But at the end of the day, I had like applications out to over 50 different companies, maybe interviews at a dozen of them. Wow. Landed one just, yeah, I think it's, often a combination of privilege, luck, and hard work. And I think we tend to over-index on like, if you show passion, you will get the thing, which just right. isn't always the case. You know, I think that's a really good point too. Um, I think that there's, uh, you know, a lot of luck has to do with uh, people's success, but I think your formula is pretty true. You know, those three pillars of, you know, luck, hard work, and, you know, uh, good work ethics, those things kind of all apply together for some success. Now, it's really cool to hear that. Um, you know, so one thing I also noticed on your website is your focus on ensuring the field is accessible to those who are interested. So can you talk to me about like, what's some advice that you want to give to people that are new to the security industry? I know that's kind of a common question to ask, mm -hmm. but I think this is a good platform to kind of broadcast uh, your expertise in that area. Um, and it's also a pretty tough water to navigate. So what are some yeah. of your thoughts there? Honestly, I think one thing that's helpful is um, using the resources in front of you, which may look different depending on what time commitments you have and where you are geographically, um, how much money you have. Like, If you can find ways to meet a lot of different people with different backgrounds and security, they're going to have really different perspectives on how they got there, how they move within the field, um, how they approach their work. Because um, I think sometimes uh, advice that comes from some people who maybe had a lot of privileges afforded to them or were entering the field at a different time in a different economy are, are going to approach the same entrance into the field in different ways. So gathering a bunch of different perspectives is good. Um, one thing that I also try to do with any new job is the first few months are really just about discovery. They're about learning your environment and that goes for a lot more than just the technology you're learning how data flows between different systems in your in your infrastructure um but also how information is passed among colleagues where the escalation paths are what the internal politics are who is going to be a good advocate for you uh what are the things that somebody who might on the surface seem a little more difficult to deal with. What are some of the things that they value? What gets through to them? Um, a lot of things to take in. And so in early on in a new job, find a bunch of different people you can meet with 
pick their brains, just listen to the environment around you and um, gather information. Yeah, I really, yeah, no, that's great. Really, really good stuff there. So, you know, uh, being a blue team evangelist, uh, you know, this is one thing that I personally have noticed. This is one of my takeaways from being in security for so long and doing a lot of security networking. There is like this notion that blue team work is just really isn't sexy. And you, you know, you want to talk to, uh, you, you talk to a lot of people getting into security. One of the first things they want to do is just, they want to be a pen tester. And I'm, I'm saying there's nothing wrong with that, but being a blue team evangelist, what are your thoughts on the notion that blue team isn't cool? Well, and being a former blue teamer, because I spent a few years in security operations. Um, so here's the thing. I think the nature of blue team work is changing the way we think uh, in the way we think about it. If you think of the stereotype of a sock, you think of, again, a windowless room in isolation and that's miserable. And if companies are doing that still, knock it off. It's horrible for your people and it's bad for morale. <laughs> um, yeah. I think there's a lot of room for innovation on the blue team side that's uh, just starting to be tapped. And I feel really fortunate that the last um, security operations team I worked on was doing a lot of really cool stuff. Um, there's a lot of room for figuring out novel ways to detect stuff um, automate parts of the boring response process and detection process. Um, think about attack surface that's not really being looked at. Um, one of my former coworkers created uh, an open source tool for doing security assessments for Chrome extensions, which was pretty greenfield. And it was a, a problem that our team was encountering. And so uh, this tool took care of a really manual process. And so that was neat. So. There's a lot of stuff like that. Um, back in January, I went in. I went to Art into Science for the first time. It's a security conference in Austin, focused entirely on blue team stuff. It, their tagline is "Glorify the defense," and I think the organization of it uh, is admittedly a little chaotic, but the content was awesome. Um, archives from past years are up on YouTube. It's a lot of really cool um, defenders talking about open source tools that they built. Um, some of the folks from Cloudflare built their own SIM using serverless technology. There's a lot of stuff that would not necessarily make the stage at a conference that is gonna, as you said, uh, glorify the, the offensive side, glorify the elite hacks. Um, but there's a lot of stuff you can do. I also think, I don't know. I personally, I love doing security education um, for colleagues, and I, I really enjoyed that part of my job in my last role. And so there's a lot of room for innovation there in terms of how people are approaching it. People are starting to realize that, that one, doing educational stuff just once a year is really poor for maintaining ongoing relationships between security and the rest of the company, but also there are ways to get very creative with it. Um, some of the stuff that's been done is like security themed escape rooms, security trivia, CTFs for all kinds of stuff beyond just your typical, um, your typical like network based CTF. I think, I don't know, I think it depends on your definition of sexy. Also, it might not be the flashiest stuff, but it can be very satisfying to know that you have, you know, you're, you're fighting the good fight. You're, you're protecting our fair city. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, you're stopping the bad folks. Absolutely. 
I know there's, um, mm-hmm. I, th- I think you bring up a lot of really awesome points there too. Um, I think there's just like a big misconception that once you're, um, you know, you step foot in the blue team, that you are uh, stuck in the security analyst role. Um, and you know, it's such a, um, it's kind of an outdated notion. I mean, that is just, I think blue team and security analysts being in the SOC is, um, you're really in the trenches. And, um, you know, oftentimes the higher that you climb up, the more abstracted from the fun stuff you become, you know, cause security analyst work, that's a stepping stone into incident response, which is a stepping stone into becoming a malware reverse or whatever path you want. That's the path that I took. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of growth opportunity. I would say that that's actually an evolving notion as well. And I actually just wrote a blog post on my work blog about this, um, how traditionally we have this tiered model of security operations where there's a very discrete split between the detection work uh, and the internal um, initial triage work and the incident response and the threat hunting and how that doesn't necessarily need to be a thing. Um, and in fact, I think if you let people do a little of everything, you enable growth a lot better. Um, the Detections podcast um, had a really good episode along those lines as well called Sock Puppets. Uh, but I've, yeah, I've always been to the night, like my team um, in my last role, we did a little of everything. We did that detection stuff. We did incident response. Um, we did vulnerability management. And it was it was really useful to be able to see that entire process through and 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 I think incident response isn't necessarily the senior role that we make it out to be. And I think the nature of analyst work is evolving to the point where there's a lot more room for growth within that type of role and cool stuff that you can do with detection and you you automate away parts of it, but that doesn't necessarily mean you don't have any work to do. It just means you have more interesting problems to tackle. Absolutely. Yeah, that's that's exactly what I say, too. You're automating the pain away, and it frees you up to do more fun things, whatever you're passionate yeah. about. And, you know, I think, you're, I think you're totally spot on with that, too, when it comes to um, having a lot of generality in terms of what your blue team does. Um, I think pigeonholing somebody who's in the SOC um, is probably one of the least effective ways to run a security team. Um, you want them to be able to dip their toes into vulnerability management and incident response and forensics, and um, that's how they can grow. So I really, yeah, your your take on that is really spot on. I like it. I was gonna say, I think one thing that helps on the morale front too is feedback loops, because oftentimes in, on the blue team, we don't necessarily see right away the, the fruits of our labor. And so it can be demoralizing, you can be like, uh, is anything I'm actually doing helpful? So anything that we can do to build a culture of gratitude and um, feedback and good compliments is honestly, it goes a long way. Some of the times I felt really good about my job was when somebody would say to me, hey, the way you explained uh, the way you explained two-factor authentication, the way you explained um this this particular phishing campaign that's going on uh that was really helpful you helped me understand and be less scared and so that is worth its weight in gold totally is absolutely especially for those of us that have uh, done incident response roles when we're waking up mm-hmm. you know at 3 a.m to do pager response and the house is on fire and uh little compliments really go a long way um 
Cool. So as we know, uh, you know, all things in this industry, um, things are constantly evolving and changing. And I know you touched a little bit upon this too, when you mentioned CTFs, but uh, can you talk to me about what do you do personally to really keep your skills sharp, both on like, maybe like on a technical level and like a non-technical level? It's interesting because I'm like just shy of six months into a new job. And so I'm still in the getting my feet wet stage. One of the things that I've done, um, I'm on my second security vendor that I'm working for. So um, I have the benefit of being able to um, have coworkers who are really good resources for security knowledge. And so that's been really useful. Um, I, in my initial weeks uh, at Capsulate, I was able to sit down with someone who walked me through, okay, I'm pretty new to this container security stuff. What are some of the really common types of attack vectors um, in each of the different components of container infrastructure? And that was really helpful. So things like that. A lot of times people are really willing to share their knowledge if you let them, um, if you offer to buy them coffee or just grab some time with them and offer to return the favor. That's so true. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and you know, that's a really good point. I was... Uh... I wasn't even thinking about that, the whole networking aspect, right? Everybody's got a, that's one thing I noticed about security, uh, security professionals, everybody's got a, like an expertise in some area. And so just reaching out and talking to someone, you can learn something new all the time. I was going to say, as far as um, more um, core skills, uh, yeah, a lot of my professional development stuff in previous roles has kind of been like, okay, what are what are some ways to overlay what I want to, what I want to build out um, with what's good for the team and the company. So um, in the past, I've done things like a couple of years ago, one of my main goals was I'm going to level up my public speaking. Here's how I'm going to do it. Um, I'm going to take this leadership course at the University of Michigan Business School um, online and find some way to time box and measure what success looks like. um, Because having a nebulous goal can make some things drag on forever and then stuff gets deprioritized. Um, so I think tying it to what's tying my own development to um, something that I can do to contribute at work has been useful. Um, actually, one of the things I did bef- like last summer was I took a pragmatic marketing course, which is for product management. And then like a few months later landed a product role. So that was unexpectedly relevant. <laughs> How pragmatic of you. Whoa. Interesting. <laughs> How pragmatic. <laughs> <laughs> So uh, there's uh, one of my other questions that I had after kind of digging into your profile. Uh, So I noticed you do quite a few speaking engagements and CFPs. um, And, uh, you know, that can be really intimidating to beginners and people that are new to it. I know you've kind of already kind of hit on these points, but um, what do you think is really important that people in InfoSec know about um, if they want to participate in public speaking or more presentation work? Um. I think one thing to bear in mind is even if there aren't very many new stories, there are new angles and you have a perspective that is novel. So um, finding the novel angle of whatever you want to talk about, um, which is whatever you could probably talk for hours about and find a way to pair that with a good audience for it. Cause maybe there's some group of people that hasn't heard what needs to be heard, even though it's something that's been said to another audience. Uh, like, um, good example of this actually is my manager who's given talks on chaos engineering principles and um, 
marrying DevOps and security concepts. And um, they're concepts that are pretty familiar to the DevOps community, like having infrastructure that's distributed, immutable, and ephemeral. But those are still ideas that are a little bit newer in the security world and can help inform security design. And so being able to bring concepts that some other some audience might know to an audience that's less familiar is useful. Yeah, as far as the writing goes, um, there, are, there are a lot of really good resources online for writing good CFPs. And I think when in doubt, you treat your CFP like a resume, you want to tailor it, you want it to pop. And so you want somebody who's unfamiliar with everything to have enough detail to get a sense of what your talk is about, but not so much detail that you overwhelm somebody who's only going to have a few minutes to spend on it. That's a really good point too. I think, um, I think it's, this is a really good subject to talk about because we have a lot of really incredibly smart people in the security community. Mm -hmm. uh, but we also have a lot of those same smart people that like to, uh, for lack of a better word, stay in the proverbial uh, basement. Mm -hmm. um, whereas I would love to see a lot of these people kind of get out onto the stage uh, and talk about their expertise and talk about their cool stuff that they're working on or they found and do really in-depth knowledge sharing. So it's, I really appreciate, you know, your kind of work on, uh, you know, giving people tips on how to give presentations. We need more of it. We need more uh, of us in the community to get out and talk. Yeah. So, and I've been really happy that more cons are starting to offer mentorship, both at the CFP writing level and at the um, talk presentation level. Cause I think that's really useful for people who are new to speaking, but um, I'll say that like the only way to, to get, over the the nerves is practice and I still get nervous. Um, but I think over time, what you realize is that uh, you will make mistakes. It's just about not sweating them too much and getting back up. Hell, at my, at my DevSecOps days keynote in Austin last fall, which was my first keynote ever, <laughs> I, awesome. five minutes in, I accidentally knocked the video cable out of my laptop. So lost projection for a moment. <laughs> this stuff happens. You, you laugh, you move on. It's really not as not as of a big deal uh, as we kind of make it out to seem ourselves, right? Yeah, the the times when the audiences will get angry at you and throw tomatoes are when you have a vendor pitch that is couched in a non-vendor pitch title, or mm -hmm. when you start like dropping racist epithets. Like those are the, that's it. Or if or pick yeah, or if you're uh, Crown Sterling. Oh yeah! Oh God. Quasi primes. You don't ever talk about quasi primes, kids. <laughs> if you take one thing away from this podcast, <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Very cool. So, uh, you know, I guess I'm going to take this opportunity to pick your brain a little bit more since I'll be giving um, myself and my coworker uh, Turbo are going to be giving a talk at Black Hat Asia. Congrats. Uh, coming up here. Um, yeah, thanks. Um, so, in addition to what you're talking about for um, some of the things you can do to participate in public speaking or presentations, like really kind of drilling it down for um, what kind of advice do you have for people that want to, uh, you know, write up a CFP? Um, do you have any like techniques or ideas or anything on like CFP submission writing? Yeah, actually, I have an old blog post about that that I should I should send y'all if you put it in the um, 
in the podcast like show we can notes link or it. something. Yeah. Um, yeah. What I say is like abstract is just that abstract. It shouldn't go into any in the weeds details, but sort of like one thing I try to caution with the abstract, um, which is usually one to two paragraphs, usually with a word limit is get to the point quickly. Like a lot of people are really good at setting up their problem, but then they don't talk about how they're going to actually address that problem, what solutions they have until like five sentences in and I have ADHD. I've already probably stopped reading. <laughs> so, <laughs> so don't lose the audience. Yeah, you got to get them hooked right I'd away. Not, not burying the lead is probably one of the, one of the huge things. The other thing, as I mentioned is have enough detail and have enough clarity. Um, you want to make every word count. So um, have somebody have somebody look over it who's not familiar with your topic so that they can say ask questions and say, I don't think this is clear here, or you don't need these five words. You can say that those five words in one word. Um, and show, don't tell, don't say, I will plan to discuss in this section, blah, blah, blah. I just say, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> Those are all such great <laughs> points. I love that. Find a friend who's willing to delete words for you. That's a great person <laughs> to go, del- you know, edit your your work. I do. I write a lot of content, and those people mm-hmm. are so helpful when you're like, "Here's this," and they're like, "Here are the twenty words you could delete and be more precise <laughs> and clear." And I'm like, "Oh, I'm so thankful that you were in my life." <laughs> it works wonders. <laughs> it really does. Marie Kondo, the sentence. <laughs> I love that. Marie Kondo, your sentences. <laughs> and we've been we've been digging through some deep stuff, so I like to provide a moment of levity and ask just absolutely ridiculous questions to give our brains Fair a refresh way. here. <laughs> so what is what is your favorite hacker movie or TV show? Oh man. It used to okay, so I think it used to be office space, but in recent years, I would say Hackers has overtaken that, um, especially as I just ended up watching it a few times more recently. And so one of my former managers, uh, Steve Edwards, has this theory that Mean Girls is the prequel to Hackers because <laughs> the, end credit, <laughs> the end credit music in Mean Girls, Halcyon, is the same as the opening credits in hackers and so clearly this is this is the same verse <laughs> and so that that is my mind is blown <laughs> and they're both so quotable <laughs> so yes very memeable <laughs> oh i love your take that office space is a hacker film i never thought about that but that makes complete sense and it's oh, really yeah. funny you mentioned that i was thinking when you were telling us about your skills when you were saying, you know, trying to align what your role is for the company with what skills you want to learn. All I could think about is the banner in the background of office space that says, what's good for the company. Oh my God. (laughs) So I was just dying inside. I'm so sorry. I cut you off though. You were going to say something. (laughs) Maybe not that extreme. No, no bobs, no bobs to do the layoffs. (laughs) TPS report. Yeah. It's funny. Like the the actual hacking in that movie is like two seconds and it's like a double click and waiting around. And then like a quick glance of like, did we get it? Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I love that. That's fantastic. What a great film. One of my favorite, I love when shows 
go out of their way to add little details that they hope people see. And my favorite one of those at Office Space is when the three Bobs are pulling people in the conference room to speak. On the whiteboard behind them, there's this really sophisticated just model that's drawn out uh, with all these different, like a decision tree sort of thing. And mm -hmm. it's titled Planning to Plan. And that just killed me. <laughs> <laughs> Never noticed that. That's amazing. <laughs> that is what it's, I mean, I watch things so many times. I feel like I, I, that's all I have left is to catch those novel moments. Cause I'm just, I'm just a freak Absolutely. and I watch the office and office space endlessly <laughs> on loop. I think, uh, so whenever I, uh, I, I don't think this is something I can do, but I've always wanted to have it as a criteria that if I hire you for like being on a security team with me, you gotta have seen office space and hackers. Like, I think it should be a hard set requirement. I think the prequel, make it part of your, and mean girls, make it part of the onboarding. If they haven't seen it, they're about to be in for a treat on their first day. Exactly. Oh man. I actually, <laughs> a couple of years back, I had a Mean Girls themed internal presentation on incident response. <laughs> I called, called She Doesn't Even Go Here. Oh. <laughs> oh my. How much money do I have to pay you to, to see this presentation? That is fantastic. Oh my God. I probably have to redact a bunch of it out of respect for previous employer. <laughs> that is fair. But that is fair. There were. That's hilarious. Yeah. But there were many Mean Girls memes. And I think that goes back well into the conversation around writing your CFPs. If you can find a way to align a topic with Mean Girls, you're in business. You're doing good. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Normally, I would advise against like theming an entire talk to a pop culture reference because people who are going to be who aren't familiar with it might feel a little alienated. But Mean Girls, is, it's true. there's got to be an exception. <laughs> yeah. It's like no, the English I mean, language. That's the I before E except after C of CFPs. <laughs> No, it's all about not losing the the original the original intent and not letting that be drowned out by inside jokes. Absolutely, a fantastic point. And um, I I do have one more question for you that is looping yeah. back to some of the earlier conversation, and you've sprinkled so beautifully through so many of your answers. So I'd love to get your take on it. Um, so diversity, inclusion, and equity are so critical in the security industry now more than ever it's always been important but at least now it's i suppose bubbling up and uh, it's a typical topic now amongst folks mm -hmm. it's a huge challenge in any function and i know that we're personally trying to continuously improve upon it at our own company and i'm just curious with your background and from your experience if you've seen effective approaches for organizations to take uh, to create i should say a safe and inclusive environment for all wow that is yeah that's a loaded question i <laughs> honestly it like really is. yeah i'm i have to also you know check my own standpoint about that as um you know most of us have we exist on many different axes and we've got some things that privilege us and some things that are make us underrepresented groups so like i i'm i'm white i'm able-bodied um i'm middle class that's gonna affect my perspective on 
on what what successful looks like. Um, yeah, I I think what they're finding in some places is that bias training can uh, backfire um, if it's not mm. backed up with um, actual positive organizational changes. Um, I think a lot of it, I don't know, a lot of it has to come from top down. It has to come from managers and leadership. They have to be invested in creating inclusive environments that people actually want to stay in and work in. And so um, that can be little tactical things like changing the language we used. Like we are recently in the process of switching all of our documentation over from whitelist blacklist to allow list oh, blacklist. Yeah. Um, but that's, a, um, so we have to be conscious of the language we use and really tiny stuff like that. Um, and also have, I guess, a culture where we, there's been a lot of talk of assumed positive intent, but intent is not the same as impact. If you spill coffee on somebody, it might've been an accident, but they're still covered in coffee. So I think having a culture right. <laughs> where we can openly talk about, uh, intent versus impact and be willing to hear and accept feedback and change behavior accordingly is really important. Um, and it's not going to be perfect. It's messy. There's no, it's, there's a lot of parallels to security work in diversity, equity, and inclusion work in that it's never solved. There is no secure, we've solved security, just like there's no, we've solved inclusion. It's all about iteration upon what's working and what's not, and being able to attack the problem from multiple layers on multiple angles, consider perspectives of everyone involved, um, all of those things, just like we've got defense in depth, we've got diversity in depth too. Yeah. I, I love that so much. And that's fantastic too, to hear about changing the, the language of the way that we talk about security and Bree Hughes, who was on the podcast for the human element series mm -hmm. created the, um, the cybersecurity style guide. I feel like you two would be like the dream team ultimate, how to communicate <laughs> group because so, she is really focused on written, right? Are you, are you awesome two to acquainted? No. Um, have you, have, I, yeah, that would, that's awesome. Have you heard of the responsible communication style guide? No. Uh, it was put out by the Recompiler, which is a feminist uh, hacker publication, and um, I'll, I'll send a link for that one as well. Um, but it's got style guidelines for for language around race, gender, ability, religion, um, how you talk about transition, how you talk about disability, technological terms, stuff like that. So it's a really great resource. I've learned a lot reading it. That's awesome. I'm and so glad these things exist. Yeah. Yeah. Just like security, yeah. right? Like we have to stay on top of it and continue to educate ourselves and frankly, unlearn too. That's the more difficult. Exactly. Um, yeah. Yeah. On a more like uh, blunt note, um, leadership needs to pay attention to who's getting promoted and who's making more money than whom. Like yeah. we can talk about like inclusion and women in tech panels on just like LGBT and tech panels all we want, but like Fucking promote people. Pay <laughs> <Hey>, them. <laughs> right. Yes. Oh, Absolutely. amen. I could I could talk for hours about that one. <laughs> <laughs>
Yeah, that's so important. Well, thank you. Thank you for letting me pick your brain about this. And Tark and I, I should say, for letting us pick your brain about this. This is really near and dear to both of our hearts. So we appreciate you sharing yeah. your your background Absolutely. and whatnot and, and your experience. What I'd love to end on is a game of two truths and a lie. And for those who don't tune in to our weekly episodes, what we do is we typically look at three different articles and we try to trick each other as to which one is not accurate. But when we have guests on the show, we like to have, you know, play old school two truths and a lie and hear about their own experience in life. So Kat, are you prepared to shock Tarek and myself? I will try. (laughs) (laughs) No pressure. No pressure. Um, Perfect. So how about you go ahead and read those off to Tarek and I, and we'll both, we'll both guess what your lie is. Okay. So I thought about it. And given that we're all stuck at home right now, I thought I would do a travel themed one. So I love it. (laughs) I have hiked a portion of the Camino de Santiago in Spain, floated in the Dead Sea, and climbed the Pyramid of the Sun. Oh, go give me those one more time. I need to really mentally break them down. Okay. One, I have hiked a portion of the Camino de Santiago in Spain. Two, I have floated in the Dead Sea in Israel. Three, I have climbed the Pyramid of the Sun in Mexico. Oh. Oh. These are such wonderful images. <laughs> I want them all to be true. <laughs> <laughs> they all sound really cool. Let's see. If not, I can go. They sound great. I hope for you that you're tricking us. They're all true, and you've had a wonderful life. <laughs> hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Let's see. You said Santiago so beautifully. I'm going to say that that one's true. Um, Gosh. I'm going to say the second one. I'm going to go with that as the lie. That's my blind guess, but these are all amazing. The Dead Sea? Yeah, the Dead Sea. What about you, Tarek? You know, um, since you picked the one I was going to pick, I'm going to have to go. I got to switch it up, and I'm going to say the Pyramid in Mexico. I've actually never hiked the Camino de Santiago. Oh! Oh! <laughs> but you pronounced it so perfectly. <laughs> Tarek and I actually, we knew that was it. We just wanted to hear you say it again and again and again because it sounded so pretty. <laughs> Camino de Santiago. Oh. <laughs> so gorgeous. Yeah. Uh, we got fooled. We got yeah, fooled. Yeah, no. I, I did a study abroad in Mexico in college in uh, Cuernavaca, which is about an hour and a half south of Mexico City, uh, which is maybe half an hour from Teotihuacan, where the Pyramid of the Sun was. So went up there and went up it. Um, I'm not sure if you can still climb it because stairs been worn down. But yeah, I did that. And then uh, in 2011, I went on a birthright trip to Israel. And so that's when the Dead Sea floating happened. That's awesome. Very cool. That's really cool. Thank you for sharing your travel stories with us. That did that was really nice. And I think both Tark and I needed Aww. to hear that right now. <laughs> oh, yes. I needed to hear it too. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm gonna go look at pretty pictures of places far away today. <laughs> yeah. You've inspired me. Well, 
Kat, Tarek, thank you both so much for your time for this discussion. I really appreciate your thoughtful comments and your advice and being so patient and flexible as we had to reschedule this a few times with what's happening around us in the world um, to all get together virtually. So thank you both so much for your time. I really, really appreciate it. Thank you so much. This was honestly a breath of fresh air that I needed today. And you were wonderful to talk to. Well, yes. And please stay safe, stay healthy. We're sending all the good vibes um, in a socially distanced way from Seattle (laughs) your way. (laughs) (laughs) Lots of love to all of you from Austin. Oh, all right. Have one of your delicious breakfast tacos uh, for me and my honor, please. (laughs) Have them delivered. At my earliest (laughs) convenience. (laughs) Yeah, delivered. (laughs) Perfect. Well, thank you so much. And I really look forward to sharing this. And that's, that's all for this week. That's about all we have for this week. You can find us on Twitter at Domain Tools. All of the articles and IOCs mentioned today will be included in our blog post, which can be found at domaintools.com slash resources slash podcasts. Catch us every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific time when we publish our podcast and blog. That's all we have for this week. We'll see you next week on another episode of Breaking Badness. Until then, remember, don't drink and click. <laughs>